0: You may stand now and we will sing.
1: Down at the cross where my Savior... Did.
0: 37, five said, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning and during this joyful time where we can come together to worship. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And Father, I pray that we can just lift our voices to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. It's good to see most of you today. We're glad that... <laughs> We're glad that you're all here today. We're here to lift up the Lord together, and we're glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. Please make sure you fill out your connection card. Uh, for those watching online, there's a, something along the bottom of the screen that you can, you can uh, do uh, through text and do that, and the same goes for in here. Well, at this time, before we continue singing, we'd like to give you three minutes to go around and say hello to somebody, and then the band, the praise team's gonna start singing again, so.
1: Three minutes
2: How about, there we are, there we go. (laughs) Um, i just like to let you know uh, a little bit about what we're going to (laughs) sing. This song is something that I heard on the radio. And when you hear something on the radio, do you ever just get inspired? Yeah? And that's what this song did for my heart. It's about I will carry you. It's not I will carry you. It's about him carrying us. There is a almighty Lord that carries us in times that we are in need. If it's your time of struggle, or if it's just fear, there is a God that we serve that just wants the best for us at all times. And I just really hope that you find <coughs> God because he wants to find you. So let fear just be gone. Let your your temptations of whatever is not of him be gone and allow him to carry you through whatever struggle or even the miracles
1: Mind. I'll be a shield when you don't feel like you've got strength enough to fight I'll stand by your side the darkest night, when you tell
0: soon Woo, that's a view there buddy all right. winds are way worse than I expected talk all you want that's why the world was why you get here praise you Jesus You're doing good Spectacular. Very awesome. Got a little end to end thing building, Terry. You're 11 and a half Nick is now right. at the halfway we'll point good. of this walk. Definitely a whip at that cable. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it, but you're still uh, handling it fine. It went fine. everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Discovery Channel, for believing in me. Little nephew's standing out
1: there watching you, too. A
0: true artiste. Baby. I don't know about that. some of you sounded nervous. (laughs) So y'all ready to get on the rope? As Christians, we we have to learn to live with a necessary tension. We're citizens of heaven, yet we live here on earth. And we are living life in a way that we should be ready and anticipating the return of Jesus. But yet on the other side of that, the other part of that tension is that we're living life. We're sleeping, we're eating, playing, having families. This tension requires balance. And you notice, of course, as he's going across there, he's got that big, that big I call it a big stick, you know, to kind of give him that balance. But we have to live our daily lives wisely in the present while waiting for the future hope and if we get that out of balance we either start living for the world or we start having our head so far into heaven that we ignore everything that's going on around us and of course throughout this series we've been emphasizing the second coming as Paul started and worked on debunking some of the incorrect views concerning the second coming and it's amazing all these centuries later we're still doing the same thing Some people will say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. I've heard that statement many times with people. And the problem with that is, is what a person believes about things in life matters. And we can see this in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, how some people had a view that they were in the day of the Lord, and it affected how they live. So a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, they're going to live life one way. Somebody who believes in Jesus will live another way. And then the one who believes in Jesus, depending on how they see different things in their theology, it will affect how they live. What we believe will impact the way we look at life as well as the way we live life. We live life on a a tightrope, living for Jesus, yet living in this world. We live on a tightrope of waiting joyfully for the return of Jesus, but yet living the life that we've been blessed to have because we aren't here just to wait for heaven, as some people at Thessalonica were doing. While we're waiting on the return of the Lord, we need to live life to the fullest. We need to make the most out of the time that we've been given, because that time is precious. Today we're going to examine three things that Paul shares with his readers about how they should be using the time that they have. And this is in the context of him talking all about the things that were gonna come with the second coming and also trying to get people to understand that uh, that it's going to be a bit. So the big idea of the message this morning is this. It's an error to refuse to live in today, or to live live today wisely because Jesus is coming back. So put another way, we are called to live for today because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We also don't know when Jesus is going to return, so we need to make the most of it. So we're going to be in Second Thessalonians. We'll begin in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says this. <clears throat> Finally, pray for us, brothers and sisters, that the Lord's message may spread quickly and be honored as, in fact, it was among you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil people. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We are confident... About you in the Lord, that you are both doing, and will do, what what we are commanding. Now may the Lord direct your hearts toward the love of God and the endurance of Christ. So one of the things that we need to do as we live this life, as we live on that tightrope of living living in this world but living for Jesus, is we have to be able to live life with confidence. We have to be confident. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul encourages the Christians at Thessalonica to pray for him and to pray for his companions, so that the message would spread rapidly and would be honored. This demonstrates one of the aspects of living life with confidence, and that is an unwavering trust in the power of prayer. (laughs) If you're going to live life with confidence in this world, you've got to understand the power of prayer. We have to be confident that our prayers can impact the lives of ourselves and the lives of others and that our prayers can help bring forth transformation. Paul was going to face a lot of difficult times, and he faced a lot of difficult times. And one of the ways that he was able to live confidently is he had an unwavering trust in the power of prayer. Why else would Paul say, pray for me, if he thought it wouldn't do any good? And how many times have we told somebody, "Yo, yeah, I'm going to be praying for you, brother, but then we never do. Or when we ask for prayers, we think, well, I'm doing this because it's the church thing to do. I got to, I got to do it. See, Paul knew who he prayed to. He knew he was confident in the fact that who he prayed to makes a difference, that he is the creator of heaven and earth, and he's all-powerful, and he can move mountains. And so what Paul's doing, he says, listen, pray for us. Pray for the message. And that's the first thing he prayed for. Before he asked for anything else, he said, I pray that the message will spread quickly. And when he talks about it spreading quickly, what he meant was he wants the gospel to spread from person to person and from place to place without hindrance and without interruption. And then this concept he wanted it to be honored means that the way we honor the gospel is we live it. We don't just hear it. And I'm so afraid when you look at our nation today, and I haven't seen the latest stats of how many people claim to be Christians, but if those stats were anywhere close to being true, this nation would be much different than it is. But we've got a lot of people, oh, I'm a Christian. But they're not honoring the gospel because they're not even trying to live for it. I'm not talking about living and struggling because we're never going to get it perfect. But there's a big difference between saying, I'm a Christian and being a Christian. And my contention is in our country and countries around the world, if there are as many Christians that claim to be Christians, the world would be a lot different place. But it's not, so that should tell us something. Our prayer should be that the gospel impacts lives, the lives that it touches. And many times we think there's no hope for me sharing the gospel with Kevin. I like Kevin, because we think Kevin's going to heaven because Kevin's a good guy, or we think Kevin's not going to listen to us, or Kevin's going to make fun of us, or Kevin's going to do this, and so we never do it. Where is the power of prayer in all this? My wife's parents, we prayed for years for them to to accept Christ and later in their lives they did who'd have thought and, and the thing that brought them there was my brother-in-law and that was in a miracle itself because his wife's a saint she, she helped bring him to Jesus and he helped bring his parents to Jesus and Robin prayed for him and we prayed for him prayed for both of them and sometimes we think well it's been 50 years you know what are they still breathing pray another day keep going don't give up Who do you believe in? Do you believe that our God can move mountains? Now, God's not going to make somebody be a Christian, okay? I'm not, but boy, I tell you what, God can use circumstances in a big time way. Paul also believes, also prayed for this. He said his second request was that his team would be delivered from the hands of perverse and evil people who would seek to hinder their work. In the context, he's talking about the unbelieving Jews, Everywhere Paul went, he had people following him, trying to, to undercut his work. As a matter of fact, this is why he's writing basically 2 Thessalonians, because people were undercutting his work. And people were disturbed, they were afraid, they thought, oh, we've missed something. At the end of verse 2, he says, or excuse me, before he gets to that, he says, I want you to, to, to say, I, I'm asking you to get God to help keep these people away from us. Perverse denotes somebody who does outrageous and harmful things against others. And definitely, when you look at the life of Paul, he faced that. And then at the end of the verse 2, he says, the reason you need to pray for these people, the reason they're evil and perverse, he says, because not everybody's going to have faith. Not everyone has faith. And so because of that, you're going to face these oppositions. And this is something we're going to be living with until the Lord returns. Now, verse 3 gives us hope. Gives us a hope that will allow us to live with confidence in the face of such people. Because even though, even though Paul acknowledges not everyone will come to faith, he reassures the Thessalonians of one thing that God is faithful. And this is another reason that we can live with confidence. You ever been around somebody that one moment they're this way, the next moment they're that way? I work for bosses that way when I work for Square D Company. A few of the bosses, man, one day they'd be this way, and the next day you'd say the same thing to them and get you fired. And that is very difficult to deal with. Can you imagine serving a God that wasn't steady, that you couldn't count on, that you couldn't trust, that you think, you know, you've done all these things, you've loved him, you've served him, and then you get to the end, he says, oh, no, I didn't mean any of that. Here's what you got to do to come into heaven. That would be very frustrating. Paul says that no matter what's going on around you, you can live confidently because God is faithful. Now, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it changes how you live life. And I know we all say intellectually we do, but is it really down in the depths of our soul? Because I have to ask myself that question too when things go on. Either God's in, in, in it or He's not. He's not, sort of. And so I have to, I've tried to really work hard on realizing no matter what the situation, even in the stuff that's going on around the world, that God is either involved or He's not. And if He's involved and He's in charge, things are going to go the way they should go. He is always on our side. Do you believe that? He's always guiding us. Do you believe that? See, this passage emphasizes that the Lord will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. And I've seen so many people, when the pressure comes, when the evil one's going at them, they just lay down their arms and walk away. They just lay down their arms and walk away, just like the Iraqis did when we went into that country. They just quit. Why? Why? Do you believe that God can protect you? Yeah. Does it mean that you're never going to face a difficult time? Absolutely not. Does it mean you're never going to face trials and temptation? Nope. God is going to carry you. He is with you. It's one of the things I loved about that song they shared with us. This serves as a reminder that living a life with confidence requires us to rely on the power and the protection of God. So you can live confidently because you know who's with you. You know who's walking beside you. You know who has your back. So no matter what you face, he's with you. Our heavenly father is steady and he's unwavering in his love, in his care, in his provision for us. He'll never abandon us. He will be faithful in all times. And so that gives us confidence to face the evil that goes on, to share the gospel that needs to be shared, to live the life that we need to do, to when we face adversity, we know that he's with us. We have confidence that we can pray to him. We can face adversities in life because we know that we're not alone in our struggles. In the face of opposition, doubt, challenges, we have to hold fast to the truths and the promises of Scripture because where else are you going to go? When times are going to get tough, just like I I talked before about when Jesus had a bunch of followers leaving him and he looks at the disciples and says, you guys leaving too? He says, Peter looks at him and says, well, Lord, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of life? See, when you're ready to give up, you've got to ask yourself, where else are you going to go? God is with you. The Word of God is our anchor, providing a solid foundation upon which we can build our lives. It brings clarity, guidance, strength, enabling us to face any situation with what should should be unwavering confidence. Remember, living with confidence is not about being arrogant or self-reliant, but it's about placing our trust in the one who holds our future. That's what it means to live with confidence. We see athletes sometimes, and I love a confident athlete, but sometimes, and even person, I love confident people, but sometimes we can cross the line of arrogance. And we're not called to be arrogant as Christians. We're painfully aware of who we rely on and who will carry us through. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. It says this. but we command you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Christ to keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life and not according to the tradition they receive from us for you know yourselves how you must imitate us because we did not behave without discipline among you and we did not eat anyone else's anyone's food without paying instead in toil and drudgery we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to any of you it was not because we do not have the right, but, it was, but but, to give ourselves as an example for you to imitate. Even when we were with you, we used to give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. For we hear that some among you are living an undisciplined life and not doing their own work, but meddling in the lives of others. Now such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly, and to provide their own food to eat. So the second way we're called to live life is to live life with purpose. We have to have confidence in life, but we also have to have a reason to live. When people are living life without purpose or with the wrong purpose, things happen. See, in this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul encourages his readers to withdraw from those who are idle and not living according to the instructions that they've been given. This calls attention to the first aspect of living purposely, and that is this, embracing the call to diligence. If we're gonna live with purpose, we have to embrace the call to be diligent. As followers of Christ, we are called to be active participants in the, work God, in the work of God's kingdom. There's no bench in heaven. There's no second team in heaven. We are all in the game, we're all on the field. And what was happening is many people at this time, they thought, well, we're in the day of the Lord, so why do anything? And they were sitting on the bench wanting to be taken care of because they thought, what's the point? And as Christians, we have to be diligent in our purpose, and our diligent in our purpose to serve. As we age, the way we serve may change. Things may change. I'm starting, you know, I just had a birthday and for my birthday, I got arthritis in my index finger. And (laughs) You know, this one wasn't, this one here, I can still, I work on doing it, but boy, it hurts. And I'm like, thank you, what a great birthday gift. (laughs) And so as we age, things do change. But what should never change is our purpose, is our purpose, and it's to serve the Lord. There's no retirement in heaven until we all get to heaven. And then I guess you can kind of call that a retirement because we're gonna enjoy the fruits of that. But we're called to be diligent, Paul, when he was talking about these folks who weren't living, they were living an undisciplined life, and remember that was one out of step with what was, they were supposed to do. He wasn't trying to get the, the church to excommunicate them, but what he was trying to do is he was trying to encourage them to forsake their, their life of laziness. And he says, sometimes, you know, when you hang with people, there's this tightrope of not wanting to just throw them to the side but also not condoning what they're doing. And what Paul's basically telling them is don't condone their lifestyle, encourage them. Now, there are other times when he's dealing with sin, with other sins, he says, hey, you need to kick them out. <laughs> you know, you need to discipline them. But in this case, he's telling them, keep your distance. The, the word where he's, where, the phrase where he talks about this is akin to a sailor who's told to stay away from the rocks as they're in their ship to keep themselves from crashing. This command doesn't apply, obviously, to the call to help the widows and the orphans and those who can't work. But here's the problem. And we see this even in our government, too, uh, with with all the systems we have. There are people who have legitimate needs. I mean, legitimately, they can't work. They can't take care of themselves. They need to be helped. But the problem is you have so many people who can but won't, they're taking resources away from those who can't. And what was happening in the church at Thessalonica, those who could were taking resources away from those who couldn't. And it was spreading things so thin that the people who couldn't weren't getting the help that they needed because they didn't have the resources. Now, in our, in our country, you know, all we do is just print more money. And boy, I tell you what, here in a few years, we're going to pay for that in a big-time way. Maybe many of us won't be here for that day, but our kids and grandkids are going to suffer because of our, our lack of discipline. But the need to help widows and orphans was so great in that day because there was no other system. You didn't get Social Security. You didn't have welfare. You didn't have food stamps. You didn't have WIC. You didn't have any of this stuff. If you were a widow and you, and you didn't have family around, you had nothing. And the church took care of people. But if the church is trying to take care of people who don't need to be taken care of, what happens? The one who needs it doesn't get it. We're not meant, meant to be spectators or idle bystanders in our walk with the Lord. We are to contribute to the mission of spreading the gospel. And every one of us here today has to be active participants in that mission. There were many in that church who quit doing it because they're like, hey, it's already over. See, our lives should reflect a sense of purpose and commitment to filling the tasks that God has entrusted us with. You know, each and every day, churches are dying. Um, I've got friends of mine who are in churches that they're helping... They're helping to take them to their funeral because they're going to die. They're dying. They're hospice, church. Why does that happen? Well, you know, I've heard, well, everybody in the church gets old. Well, we all do unless we die first. But what ends up happening is the church loses focus of its purpose and no new blood's coming in, no new people are being reached. And eventually, what used to be a vibrant, beautiful God-loving, God-serving church just becomes a rest home, waiting for, the rest, waiting for all of us to die. See, Paul set the example of diligence by reminding the Thessalonians that even though he had a right as an apostle, and by the way, some of his opponents said, well, he didn't take food from him because he's not really an apostle. He says, nope, I've got a right to it. Jesus talks about this, and it's talked about throughout scripture. But I wanted to be an example. He was a tent maker. He worked day and night. He wouldn't take anything he wasn't paid for because he wanted to be an example to to let people know that he wasn't just bossing people around, that he was actually, he was working for the gospel. This challenges challenges us to examine our own lives and ask ourselves, are we truly giving our best efforts to the Lord? Paul and his team were, and he told the Thessalonians, hey, you, you, you imitate us. We need to live a life It's lived in such a way that we can tell other people, in spite of the struggles we have, imitate my walk with Jesus. You can do what I'm doing because I'm fulfilling my purpose. And that's really hard because that can come across as arrogant. But Paul wasn't being arrogant. He was stating fact. He says, you can imitate us. He was that confident in his walk. We need to be that way also. Do you think Paul was perfect? Nope. Did Paul ever sin? Yeah. But Paul said, imitate my faith. And that's the kind of life we need to live. Bad things can happen when we don't live life with purpose or with the correct purpose. Continuing in the passage, Paul addresses the issue of idleness within the Thessalonican community. He stated that those who were who unwilling to work, they shouldn't eat either. It's amazing how a hungry stomach might motivate somebody to work. You know, I always see in the national parks, don't feed the animals. Why? don't want to feed a cute little puma or a little panther or a little bear you know they say don't why because they say they become dependent sometimes we need to put a sign up don't feed the humans because they become dependent there's a big difference between can't and won't and paul said for the ones that won't they don't eat verse 11 says that since those folks by the way who aren't working had nothing better to do what were they doing they were meddling in the business of others You know, I've noticed this in a church. The most active workers are the ones who never, you don't hear any complaints. They have concerns, but they're not griping about everything under the sun. The people who are usually griping about everything under the sun are the ones who do the least. You know why? Because they have nothing better to do than to complain about what everybody else is doing. And when we don't have a purpose in life, and I've known people when they've retired and they've lost a sense of purpose, um, their business is getting into everybody else's business. That's not a way to live life. That's a waste of life. People who have little or nothing to do of their own will fill their time with what others are doing. And we, that, we call that being a busybody. But we're called to live life with purpose. And our purpose isn't to be a busybody. Our life purpose is a, is, involves using our time, our talents, our resources to bless and serve the Lord and to bless and serve others. God has uniquely gifted you and he expects you to use those gifts in his service, whether through acts of kindness, mercy, generosity, we have the opportunity to impact lives to bring glory to God. Let us be known as people who go beyond, above and beyond showing the love of Christ and the compassion to Christ, of Christ to those around us. Furthermore, our service should not be driven by self-gain or for recognition, but it should be simply motivated by our genuine love for God and our love for others. When we serve others with a generous heart, we are, we are sharing the heart of Christ with those who don't have him. Verse 12 reminds us to work steadily. That's what that passage means. Instead of being a busybody, to be quiet. Instead, It doesn't mean you keep your mouth shut, but it means work quietly. Go about your business. Go about serving the Lord. That's the call. Let's flip to verse 13. I love verse 13. Brother, but you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing what is right. So the third way we're called to live life is to live life with passion. The verb tense in verse 13 is a prohibition against growing weary while doing right. We're called to be passionate about what we do. We're called to have a passion as we serve the Lord. And there are so many reasons as we're serving the Lord that we can grow weary. Think of the apostle Paul. I mean, he had a pretty good life as a Pharisee. I mean, people admired him, respected him. When he walked, people went, wow, I want to be like him. He, he, he wasn't poor by any stretch. Then he comes to Jesus. He gets rocks thrown at him. He gets shipwrecked. He, gets, he has to be lowered in a basket out of the city wall to keep from being killed. I mean, this dude faced a lot. He was, he was beaten within an inch of his life all these things and i would think i don't know after the first shipwreck i'd be like oh lord you know i'm just going to keep this here (laughs) i'm gonna stay off the boat but he didn't see there's so many things that can discourage us to help us lose our passion when we look around and we see others seemingly being rewarded for not doing good we think wow Even in our own country at the political system, we see what our politicians are doing. And we can definitely see there's a two-class system at least, maybe three, (laughs) political, racial, and, and the rest. And we see that. And then we're like, wow. You just, sometimes you're like, what's the point? Why go vote? Why do anything? We can get that way in Christ too because we see people getting over, it looks like, who don't do good. Or we have others, when we do good to them, they don't return the favor. I'm like, well, that's kind of discouraging. I didn't do it to get good back but it would have been nice to at least you know you ever heard that what no good deed goes unpunished <laughs> um, boy that freaks us out and sometimes doing good can be costly you know for the apostle paul serving the lord cost him, cost him a lot but see passion is a powerful force that ignites our hearts infuses us with purpose and it propels us forward in our faith journey in those times when it gets tough, when those times when it doesn't seem fair, when those times when you just want to shake your fist at God and say, what's going on? We have to have that passion. To live with passion means to live persistently, to live wholeheartedly with the purpose of serving the Lord for goodness, righteousness, and with acts of love. That no matter what happens around us, we don't let that stop us. And unfortunately, it, it's easy to let that happen. The world promotes apathy and complacency. But we're called to rise above that and be people who are passionate about making a positive impact on the world around us. I always joke. Well, it's not joking, really. Uh, It cracks me up, I have to say this, and I don't want to offend anybody, but when I take an airline flight, I'm flying out tomorrow, and I can buy carbon offsets when I rent a car. And I'm like... No, I want to leave my mark. I want to leave a big carbon footprint so people know Jeff was here. You know, Well, we should be living, leaving a big footprint that says Kevin was here as we impact the world for Christ. There have been people throughout history who've left big impacts, both bad, good and bad. We don't want to be that one who leaves a bad impact. We don't want to be that John Wilkes Booth or that Adolf Hitler or whatever. You know, we want to be those people who've made an impact. And you may never be famous for it but the lives you've touched are amazing, and you never know. Who was the person that won Billy Graham to Christ? Who won that guy to Christ? Those people, probably most people, I remember his name. I used to know his name, but I don't remember it now because I'm getting older, and I don't remember things very well. Very frustrating, by the way. I don't know how y'all do it, but I guess I'll find out. Well, you all say, well, you've not seen, you haven't seen anything yet? And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to get worse. Thank you. I'm going to have to carry an iPad around for everything I say, you know. I don't know. Wait a minute. It's, it's got to be on here somewhere. I think it's in the bulletin, yeah. Um, but the thing is, instead of letting, we got to Persevere. Because serving the Lord is not in vain. You find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Living a life with passion means finding joy and fulfillment in serving others. It means reaching out to those in need, standing up for justice and truth. It means being fully engaged in the work of God's kingdom, using our gifts and our talents to make a difference. There's nothing more rewarding than when I get a note occasionally from some other places I've served, said, hey, remember when you baptized me? Remember when you you, know, you helped me? You help lead me to Christ and baptize me? And then here are the things that have happened in my life since then. That is worth... There's no price I can put on that. Because I know that God has used me to make an impact in that life. And that life's going to impact others. And impact others and impact others and impact others. It's amazing. We strive to live life with passion. You ever been around a person who's passionate? It's infectious. You ever been around a person who's a bummer? It's infectious. (laughs) You know your enthusiasm your passion for the lord will change lives i heard something about a redhead i don't know one of the things that i've watched the chosen and i'm not going to say every single thing and if it was biblically perfect they took some poetic license But the thing that just really that I love about it is how they portrayed Jesus. He was a man of love and passion. Blessed are the children, bring them here. No, he had. I can't. I can't imagine. You know, when I've read the Bible in the past, and you know, in the faith I was raised up, I saw Jesus as very melancholy. You know, but that wasn't him. He was passionate. He did everything with passion, and that's what we're called to do to strive to live a life with passion. His life exemplified that, ultimately to the point where he went to the cross and died for our sins, and he rose on the third day. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's amazing what changes in life. His example encourages us to be passionate about what we do. As we conclude our message in this series in First and Second Thessalonians, let us remember that God has called us to live life with confidence, confident in the God that we serve. We're called to live life with purpose, knowing that God has us here for a reason. We're called to embrace that diligent call that we have, to be diligent, I should say, to be faithful stewards of what we've given, and we're called to live life with passion. I don't want to just get through life and say, oh, I've, I made it. I always told Rob, and I said, when I'm in that casket, you know, which I'm probably not going to be in a casket, but if I were... <laughs> I want people to say, man, he got the most out of that. (laughs) I don't want to leave anything in the tank. I want to leave it all on the field. When I played sports, that's how I played. When I served Jesus, that's how I serve. I don't want to leave anything in the tank. I want to go the whole distance. I hope you do too. Our application point is this. We should live wisely and responsibly in the present as we wait for our future hope. Let us seek the guidance of Christ and let us serve him. And let us not let anything take us away from that. Let our life be a testimony of who God is. At this time, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we give you that opportunity to do that. God is passionate about you. This is one of the reasons that Jesus came. God has a passion for you. He loves you so much that he allowed his son and his son willingly went to that cross because he wants you to have eternal life. And if you don't have that gift this morning, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. If you're struggling and need prayer, we invite you to come forward this morning also. So if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing our song of decision. Cheers. Oh. No. as we take time to come around this table this morning to celebrate our time of communion when i was when i was a little bit younger in my faith i'd always heard this term the passion of the christ and of course the movie came out and i heard the term passion week and i thought that doesn't seem very passionate if you're jesus it's like you're going to get beat half to death and then go die on a cross and um i it was confusing But then I come to realize that Jesus went to the cross because he had passion for us, and that passion took him to go the whole distance. And we take our communion this morning. That bread and that loaf represents the passion of Jesus. That He had so much passion for us that he shed his blood, that he allowed himself to to be beaten and to be insulted and to have all kinds of terrible things happen to him. And he has this, he did these things, he allowed these things to happen, I should say, because he's so passionate about you, he's passionate about me, that he wants us to be with him. And he's provided a mechanism for that. You know, a lot of people talk about, if God's loving God, then why does he send people to hell? I was reading a book from C.S. Lewis that I pulled some stuff, that he was talking about this. But the bottom line is, God doesn't send people to hell. What more can he do? His justice won't allow him to ignore sin and rejection, but his mercy won't, wouldn't allow for him not to give us a way to have it forgiven. Jesus going to the cross allowed us to have our sins forgiven. This is why you can't make it alone, because you can't forgive your own sins. And when we take this cup and this loaf, we're reminded of the passion that Jesus had that led him to that cross, that allowed him to to die on that cross, to be raised on the third day and to be seated at the right hand of the Father. When we take this, we're telling God we believe all that and we're going to see you later. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity we have to come around the table to remember, to remember the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. And Father, I pray that as we take this cup and this loaf that we remember that sacrifice, but we're also moved by it. Moved by the passion that it took for Jesus to go all the way for us, that He didn't give in, he didn't give up, and Lord, we're so thankful that when we take this, we're going to be able to do it with you one day in your own house, in your house. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have many announcements. We ask that you take note of them. The Operation Christmas Child Packing Party is today at 6, and so because of that, Roger's Life Group will not be meeting. All of Jerry's groups are meeting this evening. Uh, LOL's meeting at Jules's house again this week, is that right? LOL this week? Okay, that was last week. Um, we have all of our Bible studies, except for my adult class will not meet this week as I will be out of town. Um, We have uh, the harvest party prep is getting underway, so we ask that if you'd like to be involved with that, let us know. We're looking for baked items also and people to run our games and booths. It's a lot of fun. Uh, The Operation Christmas Child is is accepting all kinds of donations, and you can see those in your bulletin. We also have our Thanksgiving dinner coming up on Sunday, November 12th at 4 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet. We ask that you sign up. Uh, to bring some things. We'd love to have you here. And our annual business meeting will take place on December 3rd. We we have that in the bulletin for a while. Also, in um, this time, I'd like to show you a video from Operation Christmas Child.
3: My name is Moises Grossinger, and I'm from El Salvador. I actually don't know much about my own country uh, because I was in an orphanage in the middle of nowhere, and that's where I grew up. Every Sunday after church service, it was family day for for those who had parents. Every year I waited and and not having them visit me. So I always asked myself, if I wasn't good enough for my parents, would I ever be good enough for anyone else? So that day when we were told that there were going to be people coming to our homes to bring us gifts, and they kept repeating the phrase, Jesus loves you. uh, I started to walk away when a man motions me back and um, he tells me, where are you going? You don't have a shoebox yet. And I quickly replied, but I don't have any parents. And um, that's when he looked directly into my eyes and with a smile on his face, he just hands me the shoebox and he tells me Jesus loves me. As I received it, I kept looking at it and I started to walk away and I looked back to see if the man was going to come back and take the shoebox back, but he didn't. And he knew what I was thinking, so he just smiled and waited for everybody to, a moment to open the shoebox. That day was just full of joy. So my wow item was a a soccer ball, and I couldn't believe that it was mine, um, that I just remember opening it and receiving that soccer ball. And I just remember just playing in the orphanage. We had a big field to play on, and I just remember running with the soccer ball all all over the orphanage. So it was that moment when I realized that I was loved and I was seen. With my shoebox, I also received the greatest gift booklet, and that's when my prayer journey began and I started to pray for a family. When I was 10 years old, I was called into the office of the orphanage and I was told that there was going to be a family in the United States who wanted to adopt me and I was introduced to my adopted family and I just remember running to them and calling them familia. Now I live my life saying yes to the Lord because I have no reason to say no. He did not just give me a family, but he gave me a new life.
0: power of one shoebox changed a life. And we've there's been, what four I think, what 400 million been sent out at least over the years. A lot of lives have been changed. So we encourage you to pick up some boxes and uh, get those filled up. On the back of your bulletin, we have prayer requests, and we ask that you take note of those. We are praying for people that have some health issues. We want to continue to lift them up. We're obviously praying for the situation that's going on in the Middle East. Uh, we have troops who are deployed, and Um, we have our shut-ins that we've been lifting up, Operation Christmas Child, of course, we've been praying for this month, and also for CareNet, our mission. They're getting ready to have their banquet here soon, so uh, if you can participate in that, that would be great. Um, I think that's all the things we have, so let's stand together, and I will uh, give you a moment to pray silently, and then I'll close this with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings we have, and Lord, we're so thankful for uh, organizations like Operation Christmas Child that's making an impact all around the globe. And Father, I pray that you bless those efforts. And Father, I also pray that you be with the many people we've been lifting up who are struggling, who, who need your prayers. We're thankful for the blessings that we have also. And Lord, we pray for our troops, that you protect them. And Lord God, I pray for, for, um, also pray for CareNet and the work that they do in trying to encourage women to keep their unborn children. Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that we leave with joy and a determination and a passion to serve you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.